So I ask you to turn to the passage I began with in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It's like at this point of the time, I stand up here and I want to look around and I want to see who's all here today. Try to take you into account. Friends, family, really feel so inadequate to speak, to proclaim to you these things this morning. They're so glorious. They are so beautiful. And because of our human sinful nature, we can yawn at these things. I could preach this sermon, I could preach my heart out, and without the Holy Spirit, you can fall asleep. Or you can get emotionally revved up, but nothing happens. Nothing happens with lasting effect. Pray that God's Holy Spirit will come in response to Jay's prayer right now, in response to your prayer this morning, this week, and mine. What is a Christian? Are you a Christian? I asked this question on Facebook this week, and I asked it this way. I said, what is a Christian? Wrong answers only. Some of the wrong answers only were someone who believes they're a Christian because their parents are. Someone who goes to church. Someone who is born in America. In Cameroon, and in some countries, it would be someone who isn't a Muslim. For some, they might respond, it's a Republican, or someone who says they're born again, someone with a good moral compass, or someone who has prayed the prayer, the sinner's prayer. For some, it's those who have been merely baptized. There's an old book called The Devil's Dictionary. The Devil's Dictionary says it this way, Christian, one who believes that the New Testament is a divinely inspired book, admirably suited to the spiritual needs of his neighbor, one who follows the teachings of Christ insofar as they are not inconsistent with the life of sin. Paul is writing this letter to Colossians. These are men and women, boys and girls, who are our new Christians. They don't have Bibles, but they have the most important thing. They have salvation, and they are now Christians. They have a hope laid up for them in heaven. They have been, we saw in chapter 1, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And they're going to see this in chapter 3. They are called beloved. They are God's loved. And they are chosen by God, he says. And they are holy. But some visitors were coming into this 
church in Colossae, and I believe that because of some of the things Paul is going to say now, these visitors came in and infiltrated the church and started teaching and proclaiming to these Christian teachings and trying to kidnap or capture them from the hope that they had in Jesus Christ alone. There are many ways that we could look at and we could spend a lot of weeks on Colossians 2. The purpose of this sermon series is to go more quickly through Colossians and seeing in big picture glimpses of this great and glorious gospel in Jesus. But I want to do it by answering a question this morning, and that is the question, what is a Christian? From this passage, I want you to see Six overlapping descriptions of a Christian. And I hope by uh, by doing this, you will respond this morning in maybe a number of ways. And it depends on who you are and where you are in your walk with God, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. One, you may ask the question yourself, am I really a Christian? I mean, a true Christian. You may ask yourself, or you may say and answer it, praise God, I am a Christian, and I'm so thankful, and I need to walk in these truths of who I now am. Or you might sit here and say, I want to become one, because Christ is so glorious. So what is a Christian? Let's look at them. I want to give you, you have them in the back of your bulletin. We'll even see if we'll get through all six of these. But I want you to see, first of all, a true Christian is one who has received Christ Jesus the Lord. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... Some translations might translate it as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. How did the church and how did you come to know God truly and savingly? They received, you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. And how do we do that? We do that. How do we receive him? By faith. John 1.12 said this. Jesus says, or the the Apostle John says, but to those who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, not just believed about him, not just believed that he is somebody special, believed in him, in his name, who he is and what he's done, putting their trust in him, he gave right to become children of God who were born not of blood, but of the, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They're born of God. We have received Christ Jesus. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord by receiving him by faith, by believing on who he really is? He is God, and he is creator, and he is sustainer, and he is savior, and he is Lord, and he is to be bowed down to. And you looked, come to him, and you said, he is my only hope. He, and he is my hope, and I trust in him. He says, as you have received, a Christian is someone who has received the Lord Jesus by faith, by trusting, by 
hoping in him alone and leaning upon him. Jesus, John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Paul's message of the gospel, he preached, and I preach, and you must preach and share with others repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you are one who has received the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Lord now. You have bowed the knee to this king Christians, you have received him. You've accepted him. You've embraced him. He is your Lord. That means that you have confessed with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, that Jesus is Lord. But that's not enough to say certain words. Even when saying certain words when you get up to get baptized is not enough to saying a sinner's prayer Dear Jesus, I ask you to now save me and come into my heart and forgive me of all my sins. That's not enough to say them with your words, it says here. But if you confess, Romans 10, 9, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is a conscience turning away from myself and my own way, my own ability, and turning to Jesus and receiving him. Have you received him? I will someday give an account for the members that I have shepherded. And you will someday give an account to the great judge and king For this reality, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? And is there evidence in your life that you have received him? Because he has now, not perfectly, you stumble and fall and go after other things and then turn back. But he is now your Lord. And Paul is going to write to this young church and say, you received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. Walk in the one that you've received and he is your Lord. It means you need to obey him in all that he gives you because he loves you and he is your Lord. You don't obey in order to get him to be your Lord. You don't obey to get him to save you. We're going to see this. He already saves and forgives you. But you obey because he now is your Lord. And that means all his commandments, all his promises, all his word is for you and you obey it. You forgive others because he's forgiven you and he's told you to obey and to forgive. You do not hold on to grudges because he's your Lord and he says you may not hold on to grudges. You must fight your tendency to fear other people and other things because he has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And he says, fear not. He calls you to love your wife and so you obey him as Lord. He tells you to submit to your husband so you obey him as unto the Lord. He tells you to obey your parents in the Lord and honor your father and mother so you obey him because You have received him as your Lord. 
Christian is a one who has received Jesus as the Lord. This implies that we are growing in our conviction that we are called to live out a life following his lordship. A Christian is one who has received Christ Jesus the Lord. Secondly, a Christian, according to Colossians chapter 2, is a true Christian is one who is rooted and built up in Christ. Look at verse 7. After he says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Christians are those who amazingly have had the very maker of the universe, Jesus Christ, root them in himself. And you have, are being built up in Jesus, and you are being established firm and completely made by him. A Christian has been rooted in Christ. This is the work of God. This is not, you don't root yourself in Jesus, and you don't build yourself up in Jesus in one sense, even though he calls you to obedience. But I want you to think this morning what this means for your life. Friends, I want you, if you are a Christian, this morning you need to remember, I've received Christ Jesus as the Lord, and I am rooted now in Christ, just as a branch only has life if it's rooted in the vine, so you, as a Christian, are now rooted in Jesus Christ. He is your life source. He gave you your salvation. He gave you faith and obedience, and he has given and he continues to do that in your life. And as Jesus said in John 15, and apart from me, you can do nothing. This agricultural metaphor or picture want is to make us remember that I am rooted in something so deep as a Christian. This isn't just about saying a prayer and getting baptized and just get wet. This isn't just about going through some formalities and asking him into my heart. This is something deeper. I've received the Lord, and he has now rooted me in him. I am connected to this one Jesus. I don't understand it all, but I am anchored to him. And it says here, the metaphor goes from rooted in him and having been built up. If you're a Christian... You are being built up. It's a metaphor of a house being constructed. You are being constructed and built up in your faith, in your faith in Jesus Christ, in your life towards God. Are you being built up? You are a building being built by God, founded on Jesus Christ. Your life is not your own. It is owned and anchored, and founded, and rooted in Jesus Christ. And as Ephesians 2.10 says, you now are God's workmanship. You are his poem, his masterpiece. In order 
that you would live a life of good works. Now get this, you are not, we are so prone to think that we make God happy with us and right with us because we do good things for him, like going to church or giving or praying or reading our Bible or asking for forgiveness. We do not make God happy with us by doing this. Jesus did that for us on the cross. We do good works because he already is happy, because we've been rooted and built up in Christ. That is our foundation. And I want you to hear this, friends. This is so important. If you are a Christian and what a Christian is, he's rooted. She's rooted and built up and she's being established in Christ Jesus. And this one who has rooted you, he who began this work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ in which he will present you to himself holy and blameless before him in love. That is his pledge and his promise as he promises to build you up. A true Christian is someone who is rooted and built up in Christ. Does that describe your life? And thirdly, a true Christian is one who is filled in Christ. A true Christian is one who is filled in Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 2. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you know what it means that you are filled in Jesus, I don't. I don't fully understand it. I, I, I'm understanding some of this, but that's what Jesus says to us. And we Christians should be looking at our Bibles and wondering and praying and saying, oh God, I want to understand what this means. You gave this to me for a purpose and you want me to know this, that a true Christian is filled with in him, in Jesus. And friends, I can tell you that though I don't understand all that this means, I know that it does speak to how much power and how much resources and how much grace and how much kindness and how much help and how much strength he has given to those his own. If you are his children, you need to know, if you are Christians, you need to truly know that you are filled in Christ. You were not left to yourself, to your old ways, but he has taken, he who all the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ, he has filled you with himself, and he is the head of all things. He's going to say it very similarly in Ephesians at the end of chapter 1, when it says that, all the body God had is filled in him, and you, the church, he has filled. And he wants us to know the power that is towards us who believe in God. He wants you to, I think at least what this means, if, if I sit here and you go about this week, as I'm struggling with a lot of things, you and I struggle in this world, even as Christians who have received Christ Jesus the Lord and are rooted and built up, up in him, we can struggle with a lot of 
fake needs. What are your fake needs? You say, what do you mean by fake needs? I'll tell you what I mean. because I'll tell you how this applies to my life. I live and go about my days, and my emotions are affected, my fears are affected, my assurance and confidence and joy is affected, my anger or lack of anger is affected by these fake needs. I need blank to be happy. I need blank fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life, to be okay, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied in anything that we put in there in place of God in Jesus Christ is a fake need. I need the praise of man far too often to be whole. And if I don't get that, I'm discouraged, especially if I get the criticism of other people. If they look down on me, I struggle being okay sometimes, and I bet you do as well. When I'm not the perfect parent, and I'm not, and when I see how imperfect a parent I, and when I blow it, and when, I'm, when I look back and say all these things I wish I would have done for my kids, I feel like I need to be those things to be okay, and I realize I'm living off these false needs. I need to fix, as a pastor, I sometimes feel like I need to fix everyone I care for. I need to look good. I need to have an answer. I have to have heaven on earth. I need to be comfortable. I need to have people fill in and think how I think to be okay and fulfilled. I wonder what it is in your life. And this passage says, but you need to realize, don't look or be captured by these fake needs I need what Jesus has supplied for me by dying on the cross when I received him and he has filled me with all him and that is enough. Friend, Christian, true Christian, you've been filled in him. True Christians, why do we live so poorly and defeated? Why do we struggle with discouragements and fears when he has filled us and he is enough. Christ is your life. Daniel, Christ is your life. He died for you. He is in you and you are in him. All that he has, he's given to you. So everything that happens in your life is for a purpose. And if you don't like it, it's there and it's necessary because he loves you and he is filling you with all that is good. And someday you will look back with glory and awe and praise to him and absolute gratitude. Oh, we could spend and we should spend a lot of time thinking and meditating on, on what it means in that simple phrase, and you have been filled in him. Christian, that is the state of our being if we're in Christ. But a true Christian, number four, is one who is baptized into union with Christ. Baptized into union with Christ. Look at verses 11 and 12. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A Christian, according to these verses, 11 and 12, is circumcised by God through the killing of Jesus Christ. Circumcision in the Old Testament marked Jews as God's people. He was their God if they were received this mark of the covenant. He was their God and he was their and they were his people and they were marked by their flesh. All male Jews were marked by this as a representation that they were owned by God and their flesh was removed. And it was even a picture of what they needed spiritually that their hearts need to be circumcised. And Paul is going to say, if you're a Christian, whether you're a male or not, whether you've been literally circumcised or not, you have been circumcised by God. That's what it means when it says not made by hands. You have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Anytime that's used, it means but with hands of God. By putting off of your flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, Jesus died on the cross. His flesh was destroyed. He was killed. And it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him in the powerful working of God who raised us, him from the dead. Jesus marks us as God's people. And when does this happen? When we are baptized. That sounds it doesn't sound right, does it, to us Baptists? Getting wet did not make us saved or wash our sins away. Baptism, we have a tank back here. We're going to baptize in about a month on Father's Day. Baptism didn't save you or wash your sins away. Baptism is an event and an act that God calls us to express our faith in God through Jesus Christ, that he died for me and rose for me. And in some mysterious way, as you turn to Jesus Christ and you receive him as Lord, the, the, the act of confession of faith that he is my Lord and my Savior is through the act of baptism. And as you are baptized into the water, there is a picture of you, what has happened as you've received him. You died with him, and his death was your death. And you rose with him, and your, his life is your life. Paul can write this way because, and he's talking about the Colossians, real water baptisms. Paul is writing this way because in the New Testament, in Paul's day, there was no conception whatsoever of a Christian who wasn't baptized. They believed on the Lord, they received him, and baptism was their biblical act of saying, I have received him, I confess him, with, and I marked my conversion with baptism, which was a picture of the circumcision of Christ. You died, 
and raised with him. And if a person refused baptism because it was embarrassing or could lead to family trouble, if I get baptized, it's going to cause a stir in my family, it just meant they weren't converted yet. They, at least that's how they assumed it. When we are marked in, as a Christian by baptism, baptism is the act of saying, as you see that phrase, I was through faith you were raised in this baptism. Through faith. It is an act of through faith that I have put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in some amazing way. Christians, you need to know that you died and your old self is buried with Christ and because he rose from the dead, you are now alive with him. You have fellowship with him. He is in you and you in him. This union with Christ is mysterious and it's glorious. Just Thursday, I looked at my Google calendar and I went, oh, it's a baptism anniversary. Because I marked all our baptism anniversaries of my kids. And I came to Elijah and I said, Elijah, nine years ago, you were a young boy. You had put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You repented of your sins and you asked to be baptized. You got baptized. And I, I, said, I said, this is a reminder that you are, you are in Christ. You died with him. Remember that. Don't look to your baptism as your trust. Look to Jesus, but remember that act of which you look to Christ and you publicly declared that you are owned by him, that you died with him, and that means your old self is gone and you belong to another having been raised with Jesus from the dead. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is baptized in union with Jesus Christ so that we can now say, like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, the life I now live as a father, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a husband, what, what role is it for you? The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian is one who has been united to Christ in baptism. Have you? Do you live in light of that union with Christ if you have been baptized in him? Oh, I, I implore you to look to Christ this morning, remembering if you've been baptized, not to put your trust in that act that you did it, but what Jesus has done for you. You are in Christ. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. That's what a Christian is. And fifthly, a true Christian is one. Oh, I, we could sing and sing and sing and sing about this fifth one. Is one who is completely forgiven in Christ, by Christ. Look at verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having, been, having forgiven us all our trespasses, 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, he nailing it to the cross. Friends, if you, a Christian is one who has all of their sins forgiven, all of them, all of them, he will never, ever punish you because of your sins. You deserve hell. I deserve to burn in hell for all eternity. You say, that doesn't seem to make sense. That doesn't seem right, Pastor Daniel. I don't feel like that's right. I don't care. That's what God's word says. The wages of my sin is death. There is none righteous. You are dead in your trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision, the uncleanliness, the deadness of your flesh. All of that You're, it was as filthy rags. You deserve to be punished, being separated from all happiness, all goodness, all beauty, all love forever and ever because of our rebellion. But because of what Jesus did, having forgiven us all our trespasses, a true Christian will never be punished punished. Now, I didn't say we'll never be disciplined. Christians are going to be disciplined, spanked by God all the time. They'll have consequences for their sinful actions and their stupidity, but all of that is the active love and grace of a father who is preparing up a child and never for a second thinks that they're not their child, but is embracing them in love even as they spank and discipline us. God the Father will never punish those who he has forgiven because of Jesus Christ. All of your sinful thoughts and actions and words, all of your rebellion towards authority from your little childhood till now, all of your grumbling and complaining and gossip, all of your, I mean, the countless minutes and seconds and hours that you put no regard for God into your decisions or actions or your spending, your opportunities squandered in sharing your faith and caring for others. Oh, we have a great, great Savior who has forgiven us. Because we have, because of all those sins naturally, we have a big I-O-U against God. We have a big debt against Him. A big, big, big debt that we could never, ever pay. And it says here that He forgave us all our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. These demands saying, you must pay up or perish. You must pay this debt that you owe to God because of your sins and what you owe to him and that you owe all your allegiance and you haven't given all your allegiance. You owe it all to God. You must pay up or die. He canceled that record of debt that stood against us. He set it aside, nailing it 
to the cross of Jesus Christ. A picture of what Paul, what Peter will say, Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to him, live to righteousness. By his wounds, we were healed. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he, he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich? I, I declare to you that forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in Jesus' name for everyone who believes in him. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Come, let us reason now, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Friend, a true Christian is forgiven of their sins. They're freed from the penalty, and they are growing in an ever-growing gratitude that he has forgiven us and a heart of love and grace towards others. You see, if we have been forgiven, how can we not forgive others that have sinned against us? If we are forgiven, we forgive. If we are loved this way, we love this is the Christian life. This is all of God's grace. We didn't earn it at all. If you're a Christian, you have been forgiven all of your sins. And that the last thing I want you to see here is that a true Christian is one who is freed from the enemy by Christ. There is an accuser that is accusing us of our sins. There is a tempter who is tempting us to disbelieve God and depend on ourselves. There is an enemy that wants to destroy your soul. And it says in verse 15 that Jesus disarmed. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. Jesus on the cross was actually triumphing over Satan in the very act that Satan thought he was triumphing over Jesus. He was being disarmed. And the work of Jesus destroyed Satan and disarmed his power. He said, he's around here. He's still blinding people's eyes. He's still tempting people to sin. Yes, he is. But there, in one very real way on the cross, Jesus did something so that you are not under the power of the evil one anymore. It says in Hebrews that through his death, he destroyed the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, that was holding us slavery to the fear of death. You do not need to fear hell anymore. You do not need to fear death anymore. You do not need to fear the penalty of sin, and you do not have to fear the power of Satan in your life. You have Christ, and he has filled you, and you are rooted, and you are grounded in him. Hallelujah, what a savior that he does this to our enemies. And any, any action of the enemy against you is all by the permission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is on a leash, Satan is, and he will not go beyond what Jesus allows. In fact, sometimes the enemy afflicts us like he did with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But it is actually 
The very thing he's trying to do in tempting Paul, it is God's way of strengthening Paul and showing Paul how strong Jesus is. Jesus is our glorious victor. He on the cross, and that's what this is all coming together as, Jesus on the cross defeated all our enemies, defeated our sin, defeated Satan, defeated our flesh, defeated all these things, and it is all done by Jesus Christ. And so Paul would want us to say, why would you Christians listen to any other teaching that would draw you away from Jesus Christ? He is everything. Why would you go after just disciplines and trusting in other things, including your own works or your profession of faith? Why would you look to anything else but Jesus? Jesus is your Lord. He has rooted you. Jesus is building you up and establishing you. Jesus, you are filled in Jesus. You have been circumcised by Jesus. You are dead because of Jesus, of your old person, and your new life is in Jesus. He's canceled all of your debt. You are free. You don't have to fear death or hell anymore. He is your Savior, and He will bring you home. No, may we understand this. So the question I leave you with, and, and Paul leaves us in this question. He says, so watch out, heads up, but hold fast to Jesus. And give him thanks. He says, the result of our walking in Jesus is we're abounding, abounding in thanksgiving. If I, these six descriptions of what a Christian really is are not a how-to, I need to do these things, because the reality are these things that Jesus does to us. These are things that we should respond with with gratitude and hope and prayer. Oh God, these things are true in my life, but I far too often live in the light of my still old ways. Oh God, teach me what it means to be rooted in Christ. Root me more. Help me, Lord. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I ask this question as we conclude this sermon is, are you a Christian? Friend, are you a Christian? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ freely as a gift? Have you turned from your sin, been convicted that you're so bad that you don't deserve this gift, but he offers it to you? Have you received this gift that you so desperately need need and have you been saved if so all these things are yours these are yours forevermore if you are not a christian i welcome you to become a christian today if you've listened, you've heard that you must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you desire to do that, I'd love to help you do that after the service. There is some, 
And many people in this room would just love to walk you through what it means to truly receive and accept Christ as your Savior and follow Him by trusting in Him and then afterwards being baptized because you have confessed Him now as your Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we respond to your word, I pray that we would rejoice in our great salvation as we sing. I pray that you would help wake up the sleepy. Sleepy spiritually, would you convert those that don't have the real thing? And for those that are here that they know they don't have salvation yet. Oh God, I pray that you would make them so uncomfortable in order to give them your love and bring them to repentance and bring them comfort forevermore. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.